Welcome to Thrive Lathrop Podcast. Here at our church, we believe that everyone can thrive. Make sure to subscribe to our channel and enjoy this life-changing message. Amen. Are you ready for the word? Please stand for the reading of God's word. We continue our legacy series. And we've been talk, speaking the last few weeks over the legacy of your church, over the legacy of Thrive. Um, and its role and its culture, its qualities and character, what God has built Thrive Church to be. Um, and uh, I believe that this house is contagious. As you meet with us, as you serve with us, as we grow together, the benefits of this house cascade onto each and every one of you. We have the opportunity to grow uh, in the likeness of Jesus Christ as a family. And so we've been speaking to the qualities and character of your church. Uh, and today we're going to speak out of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, Paul's letter to this group of Christians. And we're going to read verses 1 through 4. And then we're going to read verses 12 through 14. And God's word reads, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things where? Above where Christ is. Someone say amen. Yeah. Seated at the right hand of God, set your, what? Minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life, oh, can you read that with me? When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Verse 12 Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and what? Oh, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone. Read this with me. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Is that where we are? Read it with me. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We thank you for your word, Lord God, and we ask you to teach us how to live it out. Thank you that Thrive Church is a merciful church and that you call us to show one another mercy. Grow us in this capacity to forgive, to not be so easily offended, and to enjoy the power you give us to show mercy to others. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated today. Did you ever play Mercy? Junior high? Girls play Mercy too? You know what? In junior high, girls are vicious. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, I hadn't thought about it until right this second. Because I heard like 17 ladies say yes. Mercy, when you get hands like this, you ever did it? And you see who you, whose hand you can break. You push, you push to try to win. Then 
And then when you don't want your hand to break, what do you cry? Mercy. Mercy. And she lets go of your hand. <laughs> Mercy. Mercy is a quality that we don't typically uh, admire very often. But I believe that showing mercy is a key quality of the maturing believer. Having the capacity to move past a grievance, having the capacity to forgive quickly. I am so grateful for your church because what we readily admit here at Thrive is that nobody's perfect. We don't want no perfect people because, first of all, there ain't no such thing. And then second, anyone who thinks they're perfect, we really don't want them hanging around here. Because <laughs> people who think they're pretty close to perfect are very judgy. Is that a word? Yeah. I just made it up. Judgy. Highly critical. My, uh, there was once a man who, who everywhere he, he, he walked, he said, it stinks in here. He'd go in another room. It stinks in here. He'd go in the sizzler. It stinks in here. And finally, his wife said, honey, it's because you love to eat Limburger cheese and it's stuck in your mustache. That's not a biblical story, but that was pretty good. In other words, honey, you're the problem. Maybe you stink, babe. And I think the self-righteous attitude stinks. And it convinces the person that everyone else thinks when it's really their problem. Can I get a witness? And so Thrive Church has really developed a a culture where we we know we ain't perfect, so we don't even pretend. We just love people the best we can, and we want to be loved back. We know that we're going to blow it, and so we forgive quickly because we really like it if someone would forgive us quickly when we blow it. Can I get a witness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want to be that merciful church, that church who's full of people who never get so far away from the cross, they forget how necessary it was for their forgiveness. We get in trouble when we leave the cross. Jesus said, remember me. I believe it's because he wants to keep us close to the cross. He wants to remind us he's the one that was perfect because you would not be So he gave his life to make a way for us. We want to continue to be a merciful church. And the the only way we really do that is by developing merciful people. And this passage here in this epistle to the Colossians is the, the whole letter is really about the preeminence of Christ. How Christ is the... Lord of all creation, the head of all creation, that he is the supreme ruler and that everything falls into order beneath him. And then he moves into this, what are the qualities of a person? What are the qualities of a person who understand the headship of Christ and wants to fall into order? Someone say order. Wants to to fall into order. The person who aligns themselves with Christ as the head. 
who wants to be in unison with his leading because he's in charge, who doesn't want to strive against him because we know better. We know we can't win that fight. That even if we quote unquote win and do what we want, we lose. Can I get a witness in the room? Right? How many of you have ever done that? You go, I want to do this, and the Holy Spirit says, nah. Does he talk to you like that? He's like, nah. <laughs> Depends where you grow up, right? For some, no. Where I come, nah. But I want to. And you might still do it, but then you pay a price you didn't have to pay. Paul describes believers who understand the headship of Christ, the lordship of Christ, and don't strive against it, aren't rebellious children, but rather choose, because it's your choice. Choose to work and apply themselves to be aligned with the person and the nature of Jesus. And so what Paul does here is he gives us really good reasons why and how we can exemplify the nature of Christ, which includes compassion and mercy. The first thing we see here is that receiving mercy should result in giving mercy. Receiving mercy should result in giving mercy. The one who's received mercy should give it. That's a primary reason. That's a primary motivation for showing others mercy is that you have received mercy. In uh, verse 1 and 2, it says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Notice what Paul's doing. He's, he's lifting up his reader's eyes. Then he says in verse 2, Set your minds on things where? Above, don't set your minds down here, set your minds up there, right? Say, set your heart up there, set your minds up there, not on earthly things. And then verse 13, I had you read it, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive because you were forgiven. Now, there is not a person in this room who deserves the forgiveness of a holy God. Not a person. There's not someone that's so righteous, that's so pure-hearted that we would deserve God's forgiveness. But he loves you enough to give it to you. But he wants his love and mercy in your life to begin to shape you in, more into his image. He wants his expression of love in you to result in you loving more and more like he loves. Because nobody deserves this mercy. Nobody. And I mean nobody does. There's a story of a man who had a, he was excited. He wanted to take, get his picture taken. He hired a photographer. Went to the studio. And the photographer for, for a, a fee took his picture. When the gentleman got the pictures back, he was very dissatisfied. And he went to the photographer. And he showed him the picture. And he said, this picture does not do me justice. And the man looked at the picture and looked at him and said, sir, your face doesn't deserve justice. It deserves mercy. <laughs> he was not a thriver. 
We don't deserve justice. We deserve justice. We don't deserve mercy. We don't deserve mercy. We deserve justice. But because we have received mercy, we should be very quick. The disciples wanted to corner Jesus. How many times should I forgive the person who offends me? Seven? You know they were counting. And Jesus said 70 times seven, which isn't like 490. Is that the seven times seven is 49 plus a zero? 490. It wasn't that. It was you just forgive. You just forgive. Why do we forgive? Because we are so grateful for the mercy of Jesus Christ in our lives. How many sins has he forgiven you this morning? And it's Sunday. You're supposed to be good on Sunday. How many thoughts, how many attitudes, how many words, how many selfish decisions in our lifetime? We should be very quick to forgive the person who offends us. Now, now listen, I'm not saying that, that it isn't uh, reasonable to feel offense because we're human. Can I get a witness? We're not robots. This isn't to discount the reality that someone can hurt us, but what are we to do with it? We are to show mercy because of Christ's mercy upon our lives. Has he forgiven you? Then the rule under the lordship of Jesus Christ is that you are not to forgive others. Who are we to hold a grudge? Who are we to hold a grudge? You know, it's very important to stay close to the cross and, and not wander too far because we can become infatuated with ourselves. We can compare ourselves to someone who is uh, failing, struggling, and think we're more highly of ourselves than we should. But when we compare ourselves to the holiness of God, that should keep us very, very humble and very ready to forgive. Forgive because the Lord has forgiven you. I want you to understand another thing. Is that mercy is a power choice. Mercy is a power choice. I just made up that phrase. But I want you to understand that it's a choice. And it's one that comes only from a place of power. I've, can, I've relayed this to you before. I want to relay it to you again. That God does not call us to be wimps or to be victims, he calls us to be more than conquerors through him. So that when we forgive, when we show mercy, when we overlook an insult, because we care about the person in front of us, that is not us uh, rolling over and being a victim. It is us having the capacity, the power, through the Holy Spirit to actually exercise mercy. You can't show mercy without power. And God does not call you to be a victim. He calls you to be a victor. He calls you to be a champion. So this is a power choice. Now, some would say it's a choice. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But it is, it is absolutely a choice. And it's a choice born out of power. See, when you let your offense and your woundedness rule over you, you have no power. You're a victim to your own emotions. But when we lean into the Holy Spirit, we say, God, empower me to forgive this sister. For, 
Empower me to forgive this person on the freeway. Empower me to forgive this person at work. And we exercise a grace and a mercy. It's because he has given us power. Verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with, read it with me, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Verse 13, bear with each other. Someone say bear. That's like, oh, bear, 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 put up, tolerate, endure each other, and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone else. Notice this. This is all about choice. This is all about choice. In throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, there's a, the, the term that is used for offense, someone who's offended is the same word in Greek that is used for bait. When you set a trap, you set a snare, or you bait a hook, offense is that trap, that hook that we either choose to swallow or not. The term is scandalon in the Greek. Same term. So the way that God sees offense is not something that someone does to you, but rather something we do to ourselves. It's the choice we make. Someone says something, it stings. What do we do with it? Do we swallow it? Do we consume it? Do we let it snag us? Do we let it entrap us? Or do we make the choice, someone say choice. Do we make the choice to not go for the bait? He who the sun sets free is free indeed. We have the freedom to be offended or not. Do, you, do we choose offense? Do we choose anger? Do we choose resentment? Or do we choose to clothe ourselves? I love the way Paul puts it. With the compassion and the kindness. Do you realize this is all about choice though? Choice. These are not things that just happen to you. God does not force you to do anything. And neither does the devil. We have the choice as to the path we're going to choose. We have the choice as to whether or not we're going to be offended. Even when the person or the people are intentionally trying to hurt you. It's still your call. How good is that? Now, for the person who just wants to stay victimized, that doesn't sound good to you and you can disagree and you could leave still bound in offense. But for those of us who don't want to be trapped, it is so good to know I have the choice. If I know who I am in Jesus Christ, I don't have to pretend I'm anything other than a son or a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That he orchestrates, orchestrates my steps. That he leads me on paths of righteousness. That he goes before me and that he is with me. That he, I, he defines who I am and I can identify with the love that he has, the love of a father. And if the King of Kings and Lord of Lords loves me, it really doesn't matter what you think of me. 
doesn't. That's freedom. Now, look, just a quick aside because I care. I care even for the one who doesn't want to hear that. But just recognize, please, recognize that it's your choice. You know, holding a grudge is described as drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. That's what offense does. And you can sit in there another week or you can enjoy the new life that Christ has to offer you to set you free from the hook that you swallowed. Now, sometimes we swallowed that, the hook before we came to Christ. But now that you're in Christ, you should be set free from those snares and traps. And there's a reason why we want to be set free. And that's because number three, I just made this up too, mercy makes you float. Mercy makes you float. Mercy, exercising mercy, buoys you. Matthew chapter five, verse seven, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed, happy. The one who is favored, the one who's protected, the one who receives grace, the one who is blessed, blessed is the one who is merciful to others for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful because the merciful act like Jesus. And when you act like Jesus, you enjoy, you invite, you welcome the blessings of Jesus on your life. Now, this is why mercy makes you float. The opposite of mercy is resentment, offense. And people who cling to offense, woundedness, the person who cultivates that, relives the words, relives the actions, relives the memories. And you ever sat there and got mad all over again? Can I go to winners? You ever sat in your recliner watching a final football game and something comes to your mind from nine years ago and you get all mad again? Can I get a witness? Let's, let's admit it. You had communion. You better admit it. How many? There you go. All right. Me too. I've just been sitting there enjoying and then here comes a thought and I choose it. And then I choose to really get in there. See their face. Hear their voice. I choose to. I don't have to. They're not there reminding me. I'm reminding myself. Or the enemy's tempting me and I take it. And I get all worked up all over again. I have to take Tums. <laughs> now I'm, I'm trying to kick the dog and yelling at my kids. Never, Lori. <laughs> See, the alternative to forgiving others. What you get for holding the grudges is not power, although you feel adrenaline. It's not superiority, although you're looking down on the person who hurt you. Grudges and resentment sinks you. It's, it, it, it sinks us into isolation where there are people who have been so hurt they don't socialize like they used to because they're afraid to get hurt again. It sinks them into bitterness, into resentment, 
There's, there, for some, there's an underlying anger. It's percolating. It, there's an anger that's simmering. And sometimes that person will just explode uh, inappropriately for whatever transpired because they're not really mad at the person at the register. They're mad at someone else a long time ago. Resentment, bitterness sinks you. The opposite makes you float. It lifts you up. It draws you close to God. It lifts your head. It causes you to not be submerged and unable to see. It elevates you so you can see what God has done and what God will do. It allows you to see his promises, his goodness. People who hold on to grudges have the thinnest of skin, so they're more easily offended. I said this before, but I'm going to say it again because some of you are new. You know, you ever heard that saying, boy, they know how to push my buttons? Oh, they know how to push my buttons. Can I just tell you that in Christ, you shouldn't have any more buttons. You should be buttonless. Why do you have buttons? Think about it. Whose fault is it you have buttons? The person who's pushing them? We are buoyed. We are elevated when we show mercy. I'm going to end with this. Can I end with this? Okay. Mercy keeps you, when you show mercy, it keeps you on the altar. We're described as living sacrifices. When we come to Christ, we do this great exchange, a great exchange of my will for his will, my way for his way. And when we show mercy, we are leaving ourselves on the altar. In fact, verse 1 of 12, Romans 12, in view of God's what? Oh, let's put it up there. Romans 12, 1. It says, Romans 12, 1. It says, in view of God's what? See it? In view of God's what? Because he's been merciful to you, offer yourself as a sacrifice. Again, because the Lord has forgiven you, you forgive. Because he has shown you mercy, you offer yourself. I'm going to end with this. I I, uh, I, I was a basketball coach for a long time and played sports most of my life until I gained an extra 30 pounds because of Lori's good cooking and then I stopped but I kept watching. What a coach does, what a coach is supposed to do is all in basketball, just for an example, they, they might not be able to run fast or anymore or jump high anymore or uh, shoot. They're not strong anymore, but they know the game better than their athletes. Even though their athletes are superb athletes and they might, be, they might know the game too, but the coach, because of the years of experience and training and tutelage, being mentored by other coaches. They know more. What they want is that are players that will follow their instruction. A good coach has a plan and a philosophy. When I would teach, uh, when, I was, when I would coach, I really felt like a teacher. And I would try to tell these boys why I wanted them to stand in a certain place or why I wanted them to run a certain way down the court or why I wanted them uh, to 
uh, changed their shooting form a little bit so that, because I knew things they didn't know. I knew that in the fourth quarter, if they didn't use their legs, they'd be tired and even their free throws would be short. I know things they don't think about. And I would try to teach them so they'd understand because I feel the more they understand, the more likely they'll do it right consistently. But even if they don't understand the, the why or the play, how many know I just still want them to do it? Because whether they get it or not, I get it. And I want them to win and I want our team to win. I want our team to win. When God says to you and to me, you forgive others because I have forgiven you. You show mercy because I have shown you mercy. You stay on the altar because I know what's best for you. Even when we don't understand it, even when our feelings tell us, hold the grudge, you gotta run the play. You gotta run the play. When I do a huddle and I say, okay, you're gonna go here, you're gonna go here, you're gonna go here, you're gonna do this. I don't want them saying, I disagree. In the heat of the moment, when their crowd is cheering, when the referees are against us, it feels like when we're down by two, we got one chance to tie this game. I don't want disagreement in the huddle because then they're gonna go on the court and they're gonna run crazy and we're probably gonna lose. I want them to run the play. I don't care if they don't feel like they can do it or if they feel it's the best decision. I want them to run the play. I want them to trust that I know more than they do. Can I get a witness? Now, we serve the winningest coach, the coach who has never taken an L. He has never lost a game. He has never called the wrong play. We have a coach who put his life on the line so that you and I could live. So when he says, run the play, forgive her, run the play, forgive him, run the play, don't take the bait. He has never called the wrong play. He wants you to win. He wants your team to win. He wants us to win. Would you stand with me, family? Thank you again for tuning into our podcast. For more info, please visit our website at thrivelathrop.com. Have an amazing rest of your week.